This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. So I believe if we open our eyes to the Word of God and we truly dive into the Word of God, God will show us some very interesting thoughts, some things that uh, are ancient in text, they're ancient in time, but they will directly apply to your life today. And so this is one of those times. I want to read this passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, just the backstory of what's kind of taking place. Moses is, is kind of doing this recap of what's taking place with the children of Israel. Uh, we walked through that at the beginning of the year. We walked through Exodus and Numbers. And so Moses has done this recap. And in the chapters prior to this, he's given some very specific regulations, some very specific rules, how you do war, how you do marriage, how you do life, how you do all this different stuff. And so we get to this point, and he, he, it picks up in chapter 28, and it says, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. I want you to listen to that. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the Lord your God, listen to the blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd and the youngs of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They'll come out against you one way, but they flee in seven ways. The Lord uh, will command the blessing upon you in, um, in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you a holy people to himself as he swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the people of the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity and offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens. The Lord will open for you this storehouse, the heavens. He opens up the heavens to give rain to your land and its season to bless all the work of your hand. You shall, not, uh, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will only be above and not underneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully. Do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after the other gods to serve them. I thought about those blessings when I sat and I read that early one morning. I was just kind of mind blown. I've read it before, but I thought, you know, everything that my hand touches, everything I put my hand to, everything that I strive to do, to know that God can bless it, that he can open up the storehouse, the heavens, and literally pour down rain in due season when I've done my part, when I've planted, when, I, when I, I've, I've cultivated the soil, to know that he can open up and pour down rain, to know that I get to be the head and not the tail. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked out the tail end, I don't want to be the tail end. I want to be the head, right? I can be the beginning, not the end, the first and not the last. Everything that comes out of me is going to be blessed. The land, our offspring, the, the cattle, the flocks, the, everything around us is going to be blessed. 
I don't know about you, but I want that kind of blessing on my life, right? I said, Lord, what, you know, okay, this was written thousands of years ago. Specifically, let's not take the Bible out of context. It was written for the people of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He, he said, this is the command. This is what's going to take place. When you go into the land of Canaan, if you obey, this is the blessing on your life. I'm not the children of Israel. Are you? So how do we get to a place where God actually can pour the same blessings out on my life that he poured out on their lives? I believe that it's just this simple thought the Lord dropped in my heart, blessed obedience. Blessed obedience. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to walk uh, through what's so simple, what you know, what we can quote, what might be hanging on your wall, what we've had courts kind of walk through the, the discussion of removing monuments. We're going to walk through the, the Ten Commandments. I love teaching the Ten Commandments because I believe that if we walk through them through the eyes of Jesus and we walk through them through the lens of Scripture, not just the law, but we take exactly what Jesus did and we, we wrap it all up into this place of uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I believe we can take a minute and recognize that even though we call them the Ten Commandments and even though they are the book of instruction, they're the book of law, they are law. Law was put in place to benefit us, and through obedience to law, we received that kind of blessing. You with me? I think that was like three pages. I don't even know. I just blew through it. Might get faster than we thought. Jesus was asked, and I just quoted it to you. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Teacher, which is it that's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I love how Scripture ties together, and I love how we can pull it all together. They were trying to trip up Jesus in this process. They were trying to bring Jesus to a point where he said, well, uh, you know, if, if this really is the case, which one is the most important? Well, what do you mean which one's the most important? There's hundreds of laws. No, pick one, Jesus. What's the most important? And Jesus, being brilliant that he is, and he himself by nature is wisdom, said, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, you love the Lord your God more than anything else in the world, and then you love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. And Jesus just blew their mind in that moment. I want us to walk through these, and I'm going to read out of the New American Standard. I'm going to read the first three, the way that we traditionally sell, uh, separate these, the first three commandments. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't know what translation you're reading, but mine's got a footnote, and if I go up and follow my little footnote, and I get lost in my Bible sometimes, so I even drew me a nice little arrow so I know which way it is to find the treasure. It says, or beside me. No other God before me or beside me. Why am I telling you that? Why, what difference does that make? Well, if I've got somebody standing beside me, they're still not before me, but they're still on my platform. You with me? We need to recognize what's trying to be communicated in the original thought here. 
have no other God before me, but it ain't just before me. It's actually that there should be nobody else. If you would consider this stage, this platform of life, nobody else has any business being on this platform of life except for God. You're to have no other gods before me. Verse 4 says, you shall not uh, make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth, heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands that's thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Then the third one I want to talk about today, if we ever get there, is verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. We've got to understand the thought from the onset of this, who God's talking to, the setting, how it kind of sets place. The children of Israel have been brought out of slavery from the Egyptians. They've been there forever. We walked through this the beginning of this year. We talked through it. They've been in, in slavery for a, a long time. And they finally make it out of slavery. And now the, the culture of the Egyptians, the Egyptians are known to be a polytheistic culture. That's a big fancy word for saying they, they worship many other gods. They're known to be the culture. They're known to, to worship the sun, moon, and stars, to worship the, the god of love, the god of war. They're known to worship all these other gods. They are a polytheistic culture that the Israelites have been brought out of. So God is asking the Israelites because the Israelites have now conformed. Because, side note, if we're not careful and we're plugged into this certain place long enough, eventually we conform to the ways of the people around us. And after so long of being in slavery and so long of being in bondage and so long of being in this place that they were in, they conformed. They were a people that now were polytheistic. They were worshiping every god. They were creating statues. They, they were worshiping other gods other than the one true God. And so right off the bat, God said, first of all, we've got to break the culture that you've been brought up in. We've got to break the culture that's been put inside of you. We've got to break the culture that you're used to. You're to have no other God before me, no other God beside me. God's brought the group of people out of the culture and instructed them to change. God said through the prophet Isaiah, there's no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none but me. Paul said it like this. He said, we know that an idol is nothing and that there is no God but one. If this is true, what's the point in telling us to have no other gods? If there are no other gods to begin with, then how can we have another one? They're false gods. They're so-called gods. They're not real. But the fact is, and I believe this is so true in our life, even though they're not real, and even though we shouldn't have to be told to have no other gods before us, a false god holds some kind of spiritual power over the worshiper. They have no power in the realm of life, but when I worship some god other than the one true God, there is a power that is put now over me as the worshiper. You with me? God's got to command this. Knowing that we can be controlled and overcome by so-called gods other than the one true God, God sets up the onset of the lives of the people of Israel with the command, have no other God before me. God will not share the stage of our hearts. He can't. 
And it is, we read in the next, the, the next verse, and we'll get there in a little bit, that he's jealous. But God knew that if he was going to be the God of their life, and God was going to fill the people of Israel with life, and life more abundantly, if we were going to have blessings like, you're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, you're going to be blessed when you come in, blessed when you come out, blessed are your offspring, blessed are your fields, blessed are your cattle, blessed are your fields, the, the rain's going to open up and pour down. If we were going to have blessings like that, it was going to be because there was nobody sharing a stage with God in our life. It can't happen. Nothing can have control over us in that way. God does not share the stage. I don't know about you, but I want those blessings on my life. I want the life God has intended for me. And God knows that we're not going to receive those blessings unless we've got a loyal heart to the Lord. It's a loyalty thing. The fact that God wants to be loyal to us and expects us to be loyal to him. Now we don't really see it in the verse, but the verse is summed up in love. The fact that I can have no other God beside, before, around, I don't care how you want to translate it, we can write our own translation. No other God can be on the platform of my heart whatsoever means that I'm loyal to him and he's loyal to me. It's a, a very intimate relationship of love. The way that the wording is, is in a singular tense, God says you, talking about you individually as people, shall have no other gods before me personally, talking about himself. There's no room for anybody else in the relationship. There's no room for a family member to be on my side. There's no room for a kid. There's no room for grandma or for, for the, the great awesome saints that have gone before us. There's no room for anybody else in this relationship. He said, you, Mitchell, McLam, are to have no other God anywhere around, before, beside, anywhere on the platform other than me, myself, the sovereign God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, Yahweh. It's a, a one-way relationship, and it's very personal, and it's love. Obviously, for the relationship to work, it's essential for us not to share that love with anybody else. We've got to give God our total allegiance, honoring, adoring, and revering Him as our Savior. So let's move to the next thought. Because we can get rid of the, the other gods. There's stories in the Bible, I think it was Jehu, that he determined we're not going to worship any other God, period. But he didn't take down the idols. We're not going to worship any other God, but they didn't remove the idols. And they were worshiping the idols in their mindset to worship God. And that's where this commandment has to come in. And we have to, to separate them, although they're hand in hand. We've got to separate them. I want to read this to you. Although I've already read it again, but it says in verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth or beneath or in the water underneath. We've got to be careful. We've got to kind of pause there. Don't make for yourself any kind of idol. God is a creative God. And God, I believe, gives some very, very creative people artistic abilities. 
It's amazing what can be recreated. It's amazing how, how God blesses and pours into people. I love to watch during worship services sometimes, there's special worship services where people are doing paintings and different things, and it's their act of worship. They're not worshiping the painting, though. They're worshiping the Lord through their gift. God's okay with artistry. He's not okay with idolatry. He's okay with artistry. He's not okay with idolatry. How do you know that? Well, it says you shall not worship them or serve them. Don't worship or serve the art, the idol. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the third and fourth generations, those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment is not a rule about making things, but it's about making things to serve as objects of worship. The Israelites were forbidden to make the images of God to use in worship. The idea of God being a jealous God is interesting because we have got our own mentality of what jealous means, right? We have our own thought of what jealous is. It's somewhat considered controlling sometimes. It's somewhat uh, uh, considered to be, you know, uh, I want you to do just this in this way. And if you kind of step out of that line, I'm going to be jealous because of somewhere else your attention's going. Jealous really isn't the right word to accurately describe who God is and what God is in this point. It actually should be moved to a word more like zealous. The word jealous has a negative context to it. The word zealous is you're not to create any, any false image and you're sure enough not to worship them or serve them because I'm a zealous God. I have zeal. What does that mean? I've got a passion for you. I want you more than anything else. I want you more than anything you could ever create, anything that ever could be created by human hands. I want you more than that. God is a zealous God. He wants that burning, passionate relationship with us. So although the first two commandments go hand in hand, God's telling the people, keep me above everything else. Don't believe in other gods. And then he's saying, don't create anything to worship in my place. We aren't careful we can commit to God and become Christians, but then have competing things we create to use to worship the Lord. Our materialistic things are just things until we use them for worship, until they take the place of our worship. Our materialistic things are just things. And I don't believe that God really has an issue with things until they take the place of our worship. And that's where this second commandment falls in that's different from the one. First of all, God said, it's my platform. It's my stage. The place of your heart only belongs to me. Nobody else gets to take that platform. Nobody else gets to be on, around, beside, tiptoeing around. Don't get close to the platform of my heart. But then he said it the same way. If you're not careful, you'll find ways to, to let your worship be put on something else rather than the one true God. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. When my worship goes anywhere else but to the Father, I'm apart from him and I am nothing and I can do nothing. That's a scary place. To know that I can disconnect in a way that I am nothing and can do nothing. Jesus also said it like this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
This is where we rightly divide the word of God and we bring the law into the place of grace and we understand that, that we're to have no other God before, beside, around him, anywhere close by. Don't create for yourself any false image. Don't worship it. Don't serve it. And, God, and Jesus said, but me, I'm the only way you make it to the Father. I'm the only one that can be worshipped. I'm the only one who can be adored. I'm the only one who can be revered. I'm the one that you have to go through to get to the Father. No other God before me. Nothing can be worshipped in my place. Jesus said, I'm the only way. God had full intentions of himself being at the center of our heart, mind, and soul. And although it seems selfish... The fact is that if God's sovereign over all things, and he's Lord over all, and he wants what's best for our life, it only benefits us to have him God of our life. And so the idea of blessed obedience is really simple. Thankfully, you go back through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you read through the specifications and the law and the way things pulled together. I don't know about you, but in the culture we live in, I can't fulfill that. I can't. And so I'm thankful that Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And the only way to the Father is through me. And it gets us back to the idea of love. And so sure, you're to have no gods beside me. Don't create or make for yourself any false idols. Don't worship them or serve them. Because I'm a jealous God. The scary part of this, and I believe that it falls on around, and I'm preaching the happy side of Deuteronomy chapter 28 today, but if you want to flip and look, it also goes to the curses. I'll preach the blessings. We can preach the curses if you want to. But I believe the same way I want to, to believe that God would apply the blessings to our life for being in blessed obedience. I believe that the curses could be applied as well. And his word says that it would go on uh, three and four generations of my children. That means that my children, their grandkids, their great-grandkids, and then so on, are going to endure the, the struggles and the hardships because of the disobedience. But he says for thousands of generations the kids will experience blessing because of blessed obedience. The third commandment reads like this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. God revealed his name long before the Israelites ever reached Mount Sinai. Moses is at the burning bush and in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, God says, Moses is asking for a name. What's your name, Lord? And God said, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. My name, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial name in all generations. He said, My name is I Am. 
I've struggled with that often. Because what is I am? Well, I am. It's just like every other attribute of God. It's got an infinitive number of words that could be plugged in. He said, I'm love, I'm joy, I'm peace, I'm victory, the peacekeeper. I'm your comforter when you need somebody to comfort you. I'm the one to pick you up when you fall. I'm, I'm the refuge, I'm the rescue. I'm your hiding place. He said, I am. And God said, don't use my name in vain he didn't say don't use my name he said don't use my name in vain there's another scripture that talks about praying vain repetitions just saying words to be saying them so let's break this down a little bit we live in a society where non-Christians often use the name of God more often than the Christians do. What do you mean? Well, somebody gets good and mad, you'd be in the grocery store and all of a sudden you hear, God Almighty! Jesus Christ! Right? Ain't that his name? You think they're calling on Jesus? It's a vain word. Useless, meaningless, has no point. Zero intention whatsoever. Could you imagine? <laughs> I thought about it in my office earlier. Stump your toe on a chair. Jesus Christ! And all of a sudden, lightning come and boom! That chair be disappeared. Could you imagine what that would be like for that person? Could you imagine what it would really be if every time we called on the name of the Lord with zero intention of him coming, he blew our mind and lightning struck right where we were and something ridiculous happened? Could you imagine? Because we don't think about the power that is in the name. He said, I am who I am. I am whatever you need me to be. I'm whatever you don't even understand that you need me to be. I'm going to be your protector. Do you realize for us to be blessed in a way that our enemy comes in one way, but they spread out in seven. I am who I am has to be somebody to bring confusion to those people and to stand in a defense for me. And I believe in every area of my life, when the demons begin to come, I believe that God is a protector. He, he's somebody to stand in front of me. And they might come in one way, but he's sending them out in seven ways. And so we call on God's name. When in reality, we don't really want God's name. But I still think it goes back to us. 
because I think we can take all of these commandments back to the goodness of the people. God is so good. And he loves us so much that he wants us to have life and have it abundantly. And if I'm vaguely letting words roll off my tongue and I'm calling on the name of the Lord when intentionally I'm not calling on the name of the Lord, I'm just in frustration. I mean, realistically, ain't you just kind of substituting it for a curse word? Right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, and that's okay if I am, but aren't we just substituting it for something else? And so then what happens when life has really fallen apart? And I'm on my face before God, crying out, needing God to move. God's power is the same. But the faith that's in my words is not. Because if I'm on my face crying out before the Lord and I'm praying in the name of Jesus, God, you're God of everything. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord. Lord, I know you can conquer everything. You're the creator of the world. What, really, what faith am I really putting in that if I've belittled that same name of God to the substitute of a curse word earlier in the week? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be honest. I didn't. Got a good pastor friend of mine. He said, I didn't write it. Don't be mad at me. But really, the problem though, and here's where I think we really kind of messed this whole thought up. I've had so many conversations with people who won't come to the church, who don't want to be Christians. They don't want anything to do with the Lord because you've got to live by them Ten Commandments. See, here's, I think we're not educated enough in our heart. I'm not talking about some fancy education. I'm talking about we don't understand ourselves enough to realize that God gave this covenant with Israel out of love for his people. He said, I want to be the only God on the platform of your heart. Nobody in front of, beside me, behind me, nobody else on the, let me be the God of your heart. Only worship me. We got a direct line to heaven through Jesus Christ. I don't need to create a statue. I don't need to create something else to offer my worship to the Lord. I got direct access through Jesus. And he said, maintain the power of my name. Paul said it like this when he was talking to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians. He said, for this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. See, the name that we so vaguely throw around is the name that is the name of Jesus that every knee will bow. Could you imagine being in the grocery store and saying Jesus' name and the cashier put the groceries down all of a sudden and bow? Those that are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. But it's not about 
this, it's a blessed obedience. Obedience nonetheless, don't change the title of my message. Obedience has to be there. It's got to be there. Disobedience would be a cursed disobedience. Maybe I'll change the title next week. It's got to be in place. But what I believe we have to remember Jesus said in Matthew, this is scary. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, this is scary. Let me read it. I don't go mess it up. Because it gets a little deeper than just throwing around and substituting the name of Jesus for a curse word. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 22 and 23, he said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And in your name, did we not perform many miracles? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are Christian people. People that believed they're in the family of God. People that are casting out demons, people that are prophesying, that are seeing people healed under the power of the name of Jesus. But yet they're going to be condemned to hell. I believe we have pastors. that are going to stand before the Lord one day, and that's going to be the, the conversation. And they're going to try to argue back and forth, and then all of a sudden it's going to come back to, no, on the platform of your heart, do you remember that thing that you let stand over in the corner? You remember that thing that you wouldn't really push off the stage to give me complete access? That thing kept me from being the God of your life. Sure, the power in my name allowed you to cast out demons. The power in my name allowed sick to be healed. The power in my name allowed you to prophesy truth, but that thing was still in the corner, and because of that, I don't know you. That's scary. And I think that if we're not all asking ourselves the question regularly, wrestling with the idea, I'm not talking about I believe if you sin, the Holy Spirit should convict you. I'm talking about going back begging God for forgiveness over and over. I'm talking about we better get real, and we should be struggling with the thought. I sit in the pews of the church. I'm a Christian. I try to do what's right. Where do I fall in this, though, that those that are going to say, in my name, I did these things, and then God look at you and say, he never knew you. I'll be honest with you. Six weeks ago, I had a very real conversation with the Lord. Because that question needed to be asked again for me. And I think if we're not all pushing through that and pondering that before we realize that we've let somebody 
something, something stand in the back corner of the stage of our heart. And God said, first and foremost, you're to have no other God before me or beside me. It's a blessed obedience. It's a happy ending. I want to be blessed when I'm going out and I'm blessed when I'm coming in. I'm going to be the head, not the tail. I'm going to be the blessed over sickness, blessed over health, blessed everything I put my hands to is going to be blessed. It's a happy ending. It's blessed, but it's blessed obedience. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I praise your name. Lord, I believe down deep in my heart when I walked into the house this morning when I prayed in these altars when I walked to the platform God I have zero doubt in my mind that you're the only God on the platform of my heart God but I understand the struggle that it takes to maintain that. The fight, God, the, the spiritual battles that we all face, temptations, struggles, attitudes, personalities, Lord. People to just get on our nerves. I understand. Or the battle that it takes to keep the stage clear so that it's only yours. God, and as simple as maybe this message is today, God, I believe that it's real. And I believe if we're not careful, there's things that are in our life that are taking places that you should be feeling. They're, they're filling in holes of our heart, God, that only you can feel. Maybe we've cleared the slate. Maybe we've cleared the platform, God, but I believe in that as well. If we're not careful, we allow ourselves to worship things and the things begin to take the place of our worship of you. God, you're a jealous and a zealous God. Your zeal for us, your passion for us, the desire for a relationship with us is beyond anything we could ever imagine or comprehend, Lord. God, and I believe that sometimes we let our guard down and we don't understand the power that's in your name. Maybe we think we've got it all together. Maybe we think we're hiding that person over in the corner of the stage. Maybe, Lord, whatever it is in our life, it's got to a place that it's calloused over and we don't even know it's there. God, but don't let us leave the house today without asking the question, Lord, how would it be the conversation that we would have as we stand before you and we would begin to talk about our life? Lord, I pray that we ask ourselves the real question today. Do we truly know you? Not only do we know you, God, but do you know us?
Father, I believe there's probably those in the house today that need to wipe the, 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 the slate clean of their heart. They need to repent. There needs to be forgiveness. God, those that are putting materialistic things over you, Lord, and those maybe, God, that have got a habit of using your name in vain, or maybe it's that we believe that we're doing the right things, God, but truthfully, our relationship with you is lacking. God, I pray that you move in our hearts today. God, move in our minds and our, our souls. This all comes back to what Jesus said, that we love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, I pray that we do that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray blessings on your people today. I pray that you keep us, you bless us. God, I pray that you keep us safe, give us peace. Father, I pray peace for the family today that's going to celebrate the life of the loved one. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.